I read the other day about a rather legalistic student, preacher boy, at one of our Christian universities. It seems that this young man wanted to make sure that he did everything right. And he wanted to make sure that he had a scriptural basis for everything that he did. He felt like that no matter what he did, if he could quote book, chapter, and verse to justify his actions, that he was on solid ground with the Lord. And this philosophy of life served him very well until that night that he took out a beautiful young co-ed there at the university. And then he took her out a second time and he realized he was beginning to fall in love with her. And he really wanted to kiss her. He really, really, really wanted to kiss her goodnight. But he just couldn't find a scripture to justify it. So true to his conscience, he would walk her to the dormitory every night, gaze longingly into her eyes, and he would say, Good night. And this went on for several weeks. And all the time, this poor boy has got his Bible, and he's searching, and he's searching, and he's searching, and he's searching. He's trying to find some scriptural basis to justify kissing this girl he's so in love with good night. Well, one evening he walks her to the dormitory. Once again, he gazes longing into her eyes and he starts to bid her good night. And she grabs him and she pulls him toward her and she planted a ten-second kiss right on his lips. At the end of that ten-second kiss, he's gasping for air and he's shouting, Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible verse. And the girl grabbed him and she pulled him toward her a second time. And right before she kissed him, she said, Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Okay. That might not be the best application of the golden rule. But it is pretty creative. Our text this morning comes from Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. It's a passage that's commonly referred to as the golden rule. It's something that you and I have heard all of our lives. And in that passage, we find the way to manage our human relationships. But for us to call it the golden rule is something of a misnomer. What Jesus said there was, Whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so unto them. And that great word of Jesus there, my friends, is not a rule. It's a principle. Now you think about that. A rule has the flavor of the arbitrary around it. A rule may be something that's timely, but a rule is seldom timeless. But a principle is something that's true in any place and in any age. 
And so therefore, this word of Jesus is just as fresh today as it was in that long ago day when our Lord first spoke it. It tells us how to get the response from others that we desire. And in that principle, there is a word for all of us. In fact, it's something that's especially fitting for those who feel like they might have been cheated a little bit in life. There are lots of folks running around with a chip on their shoulder. Folks who feel a little bit of a grudge against life. Folks that sometimes feel like others may have robbed them because of their neglect. And quite often, folks like that are filled with resentment. I've known folks over the years that collected grudges and slights and insults the way some people collect stamps and coins. Folks that rarely come home from work or church or Walmart or Brookshire Brothers without some new specimen to put on display. And rest assured, their sad plight is not so much from their misfortune as often as it is their own fault. Jesus tells us how to get from others what it is we want. All things whatsoever you would that men should do to you. Do you even so to them? Now, assuming that we're normal, and I'm going to give all of us, including myself, the benefit of the doubt, and assume that we're normal. What do we want from others? And don't you dare say to me in your mind right now, I don't want anything at all and it doesn't matter what others think about me, because it does. Chances are the person that says, I don't want anything from anybody else and I don't care what anybody else thinks about me, the chances are that the person that says that is not being entirely truthful and honest. In fact, often the more loudly we protest our indifference to the good opinion of others, the more intense our desire is for their good opinion. It's quite likely that we are protesting and announcing our indifference and putting it on display for all the world to see because we've been wounded and we've been wounded severely. But if it happens that we're actually telling the truth, that we don't care what others think, then we're in even worse condition. Because to be entirely indifferent, to be entirely indifferent to what others think of us, is to be self-centered. It is to be egotistical almost beyond the human. So if we're normal, we care. What do we want from others? How do we want others to treat us? We want other folks to like us. We want other folks to take a genuine interest in us. Every one of us hates being neglected and passed by and ignored. It gives us a sinking in the heart to say, no man cares for my soul. 
And it warms us in our hearts to know that there are those, that there are some who care enough for us to rejoice in our victories. And it also warms our heart to know that there are some that care enough to sorrow with us in our defeats and in our failures. We want other people to take an interest in us and base that interest on us. Now, we don't like it when other people take an interest in us and that interest makes us feel like we're being used or that interest makes us feel like a commodity. Have you ever had someone greet you warmly and enthusiastically and smile and say it's so good to see you and it's like a breath of fresh air? They ask you about your health. They ask you about how your kids are doing, how your family is, how's your wife or how's your husband. Even ask you how your in-laws are getting along. And just about the time that you're enjoying their warmth, and you're enjoying their interest in you, and you're enjoying the conversation. They tell you what they're selling. They hand you their card to tell you what political office they're running for, or they invite you to an Amway meeting. And that leaves us just a little bit cold, doesn't it? Because we want folks to be interested in us for ourselves. We want people to look for the best in us instead of looking for the worst. We really don't want our friends to be fault finders. By the way, that's what we're going to talk about tonight as we have our discussion in our afternoon Bible class. Now, let's face the facts. If other people are looking for the worst in us, they're going to find it. Because it's there. And that's going to happen regardless of how perfect we might think we are or how nearly perfect we might think we are. You think about this. The one perfect man that ever lived wasn't even exempt from this. There were those that looked for the very worst in Jesus Christ. And they succeeded, at least they succeeded so well in finding it that in their own mind He had no form nor comeliness, that there was no beauty in Him that we should desire Him. He was referred to as a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber. He was accused of being a friend of publicans and sinners. So folks looked for the worst in Jesus. And if people look for the worst in us, they're going to find it. And not only do they find it, they generally are going to miss everything that's good in us. That fault finder so fixes their attention on the faults of others that they generally fail to see anything else. That's true in reading a book, eating a meal, or listening to a sermon. You, you see, it's a lot like the story I read about a man that was berating the preacher. 
That doesn't happen very often, but it happens. This man was berating the preacher because he preached a certain sermon. And when you listen to the man's grievance, it was easy to see the problem. He agreed that the text was a gem, a beautiful text. He agreed that the Scripture lesson was truly a jewel in a rare setting. And he actually agreed with 99% of what the preacher said in that sermon. But there was that pesky 1% that he objected to. So he discarded the 99% that he agreed with. There's a lot of words to describe that, but the best word that comes to my mind to describe that is just plain silly. And there's just no other way to describe it other than the fact that it's just plain silly. You know, you take a cow. You give a cow a bushel or a bale of luscious hay that has a briar in it. The cow's going to eat the hay and leave the briar. Well, that man went to worship and ate the briar and left the hay. To look for the worst is to find the worst and nothing else. So what we do, what do we do? We long and we yearn for the others to judge us kindly. And we long and we yearn for others to seek the best in us. And looking for it, they'll find it. If we're normal, and we've already established the fact that all of us in this room are normal. If we're normal, we want the appreciation of others. We want to be appreciated for what we are. We want to be appreciated for what we do. And not just that. We, we actually are eager for other people to express their appreciation. By the way, Scott, I appreciate you singing this morning. There, I took care of that, didn't I? Now, there are times... That we have to be brave enough and we have to be strong enough that we go on without the appreciation of other folks. There are times we've got to carry on even though nobody applauds, nobody approves, nobody appreciates, nobody accepts. And there's no denying that. And while we realize that's something we have to do, All of us realize our work is easier. And our hearts are lighter if other people tell us of their appreciation. To admit that we want to hear appreciation is not just to acknowledge that we're somewhat vain and somewhat childish. To make that confession is also to confess our kinship with Jesus Himself. Do you remember the time that Jesus cured the ten lepers? We talked about that last Sunday night too, about the sin of ingratitude. Jesus healed those ten lepers and only one of them came back. Only one Samaritan came back and said, thank you. And Jesus said, were there not ten cleansed? 
But where are the nine? They have not come to express gratitude for being cleansed of their leprosy. The nine who failed to return, those nine ingrates brought grief to the heart of Jesus. So the question becomes, how do we get the response from other people that we so deeply desire? There are some things that we try that absolutely do not work. Never have, never will. We don't get the desired response from other folks by ignoring them. And tragically, that's the only method some folks ever use is ignoring others. You ever heard this? Well, you know, I went to church at such and such and no one spoke to me. More often than not, the translation is, we went to a certain place, to a certain congregation, and there were lots of friendly folks, but we rushed in right at the beginning. We rushed out as soon as it was over and didn't speak to anybody either. And then we'll also never get the response from others we want if we try to one-up their slides. Nobody's ever done that. Well, I tell you what I did. I met him face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and he just looked right, right through me, and I showed him I could stare a hole through him just as good as he could stare a hole through me. Indifference and resentment do not foster good feelings and friendship. They do, however, serve to foster indifference and resentment. Well, if we can't win other folks by neglect, and we can't win them by indifference, we can't do it with compulsion or violence either. It's kind of like if you put a gun in my face right now and you said, love me or I will blow your brains out. Believe me. I would fall madly in love right then and there before you could say, how did it happen? But the chances are that the minute the artillery was removed, my love would quickly wax cold. If we want other folks to like us, and if we want them to be interested in us, then we've got to be interested in them. If the great longing of our heart is for other people to like us, the first big step is to like them. And that's going to be a winning strategy when everything else fails. It was the great American humorist Will Rogers that one time said he never met a man he didn't like. I've often thought that Will Rogers just never met some of the people I've met, but that doesn't fit with this sermon, does it? Will Rogers said, I never met a man that I didn't like. Well, if the surest way for us to have a friend is to be one. And we want other folks to judge us kindly. And the surest way to make that happen is to judge them kindly. That's for... It's why Jesus told us to treat others the way we want to be treated. 
Remember he said what he said in the first part of Matthew 7? Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to people you again. Generally speaking, we're measured by our own yardsticks. Generally speaking, we're weighed on our own scales. If you sit down and help your friend pick your neighbor to pieces, odds are pretty good your neighbor's going to assist his or her friend picking you to pieces. That's the way it is. Are you listening? A critical attitude indicates a heart that's cold and void of love. And that kind of heart produces the same kind of heart in other people. It's true in our relationships with each other. It's true in our relationship to God. Our response to God is what conditions God's response to us. There's a rather shocking statement. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And there in verses 26 and 27. I want to turn over there and I want to read those, those words to you. With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. And with the upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward thou wilt show thyself to be unsavory. It's almost as if the prophet is claiming God acts toward us the way we act toward Him. It also seems that the prophet is claiming God only loves us when we love God. And that, of course, beloved, that is not what the prophet means at all. God loves us. God loves every one of us normal people with an everlasting love regardless of what our response to that love is. But what the prophet of God does mean is that God cannot give me what I refuse to take. What we receive from God depends upon our response to God. Just suppose we began here and now to take Jesus seriously. I think we're all conscious that we don't love others as we should. We're not always as interested as we might be. We're not always as appreciative as we might be. We're not always as kindly in our judgments as we ought to be. But putting that aside, let's begin prayerfully to put this principle into practice in our lives. And as we begin to put this principle into practice in our lives, as we practice it, we'll come more and more to receive from others that love we desire. 
And we respond, we must respond to that great love that Jesus has shown to us. Jesus showed us more love than has ever been shown to us. And if we have the love of God in our hearts, we're going to treat other people the way Jesus wants us to. And we'll show that great love of Jesus to them. It all begins with our love for the Lord. And it grows as we exhibit that love to others. It's His invitation as we stand and while we sing.